0: I um, just uh, want to say it's really a big pleasure. And I'm really happy and excited to have you. Um, i met you before at Phoenix Comic Con, so it's been a dream to be able to actually set some time apart and actually speak to you. So, how are you doing today, Scott?
1: I'm great. I'm good. I'm. Uh, I was saying I'm like in between kid pickups and drop offs and the Yankee game, even though they suck. And it's a uh, <laughs> it's a crazy summer. It's very like like. I have like a ton of work I'm really excited about and some projects that are some of the biggest things and most challenging and ambitious stuff I've ever tried. And then also like the most dadding I've ever done in (laughs) one summer with three, three boys with the little guy now four and old enough to like, you know, want to do activities like trampoline parks and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a wonderfully intense and chaotic summer.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. Um, How is that, though, juggling, you know, writing multiple comics, working on multiple
1: projects and being a a full time father as well? It's it's wonderful. I mean, like it was really hard, to be honest, Um, Daniel, like when when my career started, uh, you know, when I got married, my wife and I always joked like I would be the one home with the kids and I would love what I do if I ever got to break into doing comics. But, you know, she would be the one with kind of the real job um, and. I just got put on this rocket ship ride. Um, Luckily I was like one of the most fortunate people in all of comics um, to sort of walk into DC right at the right time. And right when they needed somebody on detective and then right when they were doing the new 52 and grant was on Batman Inc. So they were willing to take a chance on Batman. And, and it was like, suddenly my career took off and we, our 16 year old was maybe four or five at that time. And, um, Mm -hmm. You know, we had just had our second kid, um, right when my career was sort of um ascending. And I remember being like, God, I don't know how to juggle any of this. Like and uh, a lot of the work back then, Death of the Family <laughs> and Witches and you'll see a lot of like dad angst, a lot of like you don't really want your family says Joker, like a lot of a lot of that stuff worked its way into the um the comics. So there was definitely a period, I think, early on, especially that it was a very hard very hard sort of balance to strike um, because I was so scared that I would lose the opportunity to write these characters and and it was tough on all of us like on our marriage and everything but now we're at a very different spot where I feel like the last like five years have been great getting better every year where I found a better way of balancing um, you know the work I have especially being my own boss now being outside of superhero comics um mm-hmm. and parenting which is a joy and these ages are really fun we have 16 12 and 4 oh, wow. <laughs> a bit of a surprise so i'm always like oh i'm gonna be he's gonna graduate high school in 2037 uh that's uh better go to that one <laughs> in a flying car of some kind so we'll see and then
0: um With that being said, too, as well, it's uh, your your contract with DC has ended. So now uh, that's why we're getting all these works from you uh, working on very independent comics. How does it feel to, uh, uh, you know, be separated from a big entity and now being able to really push your work um, creatively?
1: I mean, I love it. I think, you know, every year I was at DC, I fought really hard legally to have a carve out um which is sort of a space to do an indie book outside of DC's um DC's uh ownership um and so I would get it and then I wouldn't use it because I had didn't have any time um so I wound up feeling like I kind of argued to get this thing and had the space to like do indie stuff and then I just never actually could find the brain power because DC was so intense at that time um so I had all these ideas like building up and things I wanted to do and so to be on the other side of it now and to get to have this kind of explosive period of creativity with you know other creators who really inspire me and who are friends and some of them are new to me all of it like trying everything from working with brand new people like Valeria Favaccia and my own son on um by a thread to Hayden Sherman, who is totally different kind of artist for me with wildfires to working with Greg independently on we have demons. I mean, over the last three years, it's just been like this incredibly fun time. I do think that I'm at a period right now too, where I'm ready to sort of start tackling superhero thoughts again. Mm -hmm. So I am sort of exploring that zone a little bit to be totally fair. Um, But I always want to keep, I never want to go back to, to being so locked in that I can't have, a significant amount of the work I'm doing be independent. I've realized like in the last four or five years, especially that it's extremely important to me creatively and just psychologically to have a space that's like a treehouse where I can go and experiment and make things that are just me and people I admire sort of playing around and making things that are we're passionate about. Nice. And if
0: I understand this correctly as well, um, just from articles that I've read, Um, and listening to uh, previous uh, interviews, uh, pretty much uh, DC gave you a lot of, uh, I guess, wiggle room or like a playground when it came to uh, Dark Knight metals, correct?
1: Yes. I mean, they were great. DC, I look back at that and I'm like, I can't believe like we have like Wonder Woman with a, sorry, my kid got something on my computer. The (laughs) Wonder Woman with like an invisible chainsaw made of the jet and a, superman with a dark side rock arm and long 80s hair and <laughs> batman lord of the dead with a scythe and a giant motorcycle made of like a mutant bat skeleton and i genuinely cannot believe they let us get away with these things and i love them dearly batman riding a joker dragon and the grim knight and the batman who laughs and the dark multiverse and so there was just like a I think there was a big fight when we did metal where they really weren't sure that it would work and they wanted to call it other things, dark universe, dark crisis, all this stuff. And then like, eventually they Greg just helped me wear them down where he was like, I'll tell you what you do. You just don't respond to them. And I was like, what you <laughs> have to respond to them. And he's like, we don't respond to them until they, they give in and whatever. And I was like, I can't do that. And he was like, yes, you can. You're strong. And I was like, all right. So we did it and they eventually gave in and like, once it took off, you know, once it began and they saw it was, you know, it was a pretty big success with people. They all leaned in and like, let us do whatever we want. And from that point forward, it really was just about telling a story that you thought was the best you could do. It was a celebration of all things comics that felt like it had a point, which metal was sort of about, you know, being able to reach out to other people and the people around you when you're in a really dark space. And sometimes that means to other people in the comic community sometimes that means um to family and friends but to be able to sort of accept that you're in it together you're not alone when you're facing something really dark and then death metal was even bigger where it was like it was about comics at a time when the pandemic was hitting and everything seemed to be shutting down and people were fighting this big culture war about is comics too conservative is comics too woke all of that stuff and it was like we're all on it together. And if you've ever loved a comic, you're a comic fan and every story matters. And that's what wonder woman was proving in that story. So there were things that meant a lot to us that we really believed in, but there was also like a energy on it. That was just like the most fun ever where you were just like any crazy thing you could think of that you felt fit the story appropriately was fair game for any creator involved. So there were, you know, (laughs) it was, it was a blast and working with Josh Williamson and, James Tynan, you know, on those things was just a special moment. They would come to my house here with because we had just had Quinn actually for death metal. We had had our four year old and D.C. because I couldn't really travel out to the West Coast at that time. And it was just around, you know, around the pandemic. um, They came here. And so we had we had uh, summits at this my little port little town that I live in. And it was really fun. So it was a special moment. I loved working on those.
0: Nice. And from my understanding as well is um previously, prior to the New 52, uh you did a little bit of Batman, uh Skeleton Key being one of the uh you know short stories. I think it was like a two or three comic run, which I love, by the way. Thank you. Uh turning Commissioner Gordon's son into a villain was awesome. Um but with that being said, how intimidating was it stepping into the spotlight, writing for the New 52, when a lot of fans gave DC and gave you a lot of pushback, just saying that you weren't too familiar with oh, uh, yeah. Batman as a whole?
1: Oh, I would have, too. There was no bigger critic of <laughs> me than me. Believe me, I was like, who is this guy? Why is he on Batman? He doesn't deserve it. That There's nothing you could have said online that I wasn't like saying to myself worse in my head. So I understood that pushback entirely and I was terrified, you know, I was really um, a mess during that period. And I think that's why James and I Tynan became such good friends was he was my friend already, but he really helped me through that period. Him and Greg, both Greg Capullo, I mean, in particular, a lot of phone calls about like. I love the story, but what if everybody hates it? And it was like, stick to your guns, do the thing you care about. All the advice that I had given James when he was a student, he was like giving back to me is when I, now that I was, you know, make the thing that you'd like to find on the shelves, make the thing that matters to you, pretend it's fan fiction and nobody's going to read it, like all that. So um, it was really scary. I mean, I was like terrified. I had the image in my head always was, (laughs) they were like, we think it's going to sell like 150,000 copies the first one. And I remember being like, that's like, four Yankee stadiums about I think or three Yankee stadiums and I just like pictured like three stadiums stacked on top of each other and like me full and like me on the pitcher's mound like reading the comic (laughs) over a microphone to them and all of them just being like "Ooh," you know like just like oh the roar of that and being like oh my god this is gonna be me but um it was you know again I just felt it was a really weird mix of emotions because it was like my dream job But I also felt completely unqualified for it, where it was like I should have I always thought like, well, I'd be working 10 years in comics before I'd ever get to touch anything Batman, if I was lucky, maybe a short story. So to be in one year and then be on the book and then to have the book be number one, it was just a whole I mean, it was like (laughs) I, I, I do wish that I could go back in time and do it over. Because I didn't get to enjoy it, I think as part of it, like I was so scared and nervous that those first few months, especially, I mean, I, I couldn't look up and see that anyone was reading it, because if I did, it would scare me to death. I had to just be like, you know, so that's the only reason I wouldn't change anything I did. I just wish I could go back and kind of maybe like take it in a little more and enjoy <laughs> it as opposed to being like, ah, all the time. Well, just know you did a great job because uh you
0: have a lot of fans because of that oh, work and it was you. such a great run through issue one through the ending of, of uh issue oh god and it's i like, have a collection
1: yeah 52, 52 i think or 50, 52 yeah yeah it was pretty yeah somewhere around there, 51 or 52 yeah so i loved
0: it so when i heard that you were coming back to write batman for uh for metal i was like oh yeah i need to pick it up uh you know i also fell in love with uh, american vampire so that was also a great oh, story um even though i had a short run of only 20 issues which kind of broke my heart oh no (laughs)
1: american vampire is longer it's like uh it has two big two big cycles or three big cycles but it it probably totals out at about 50 issues total
0: i remember it coming back as well in 2020 so that's kind of and that was a little bit shorter wasn't it
1: yeah they were it had like one cycle that was about the first big one was about 25 to 30 issues the second one was three two to three arcs so it was another 11 or 12 issues and then the last one was 11 issues total so it was sort of all together probably evens out close to about 50 issues okay of material but we'd love to bring it back too we just wanted to kind of like close that version of it for a while and then mm-hmm. we could always reopen it in the present we keep talking about so
0: nice the other thing too
1: is uh how did uh dc or how did you actually end up getting partnered with uh greg capullo that was totally them. I mean, I was aware of Greg from Spawn and was a fan of his stuff. But I thought that I was going to still be with Jock when we did New 52. That was like my whole, it was going to be Dick Grayson, and it was going to be Jock, and it was going to be a continuation of what we had done on The Black Mirror. So I was like, okay, I think I can do it. And then they were like, well, it's not Dick Grayson, it's Bruce Wayne. And I was like, oh my God, that's scary. <laughs> okay, maybe I can do this. It's Batman number 700 and whatever. And they were like, no, it's going to be Batman number one. And I was like, Bruce Wayne, Batman number one. And they were like, and we have an artist we really want to pair you with. We want somebody who has like a lot of muscle in comics and, you know, do you know Greg Capullo? And I was like, I've never met him. but I know his stuff. I love it. But like, Jock, like Greg Capullo could not be like further apart from each other in art styles. So I love them both like dearly. But I mean, you know, the mind adjustment you have to make to go from an artist who has all of the amazing talents and skills of jock to somebody who has all the amazing talents and skills of, of greg but that are just wildly different types of artists and emphasize different things and enjoy working different ways all of that was like oh my god how am i gonna do this so we didn't get along at all when we first met because i was like used to working with oh, hey. artists who put up with a lot of like didn't really they were very laid back, and like they mm-hmm. liked working from full script, and I was like super nervous about full script because it was the only way I felt I had any control and I didn't understand sort of the most important lesson I think as a comic book writer, which I'm very grateful to Greg for teaching me, which is that you have to adjust to whoever you're with as much as you can to make sure you're you're letting them shine, and if that means trying to change the way you write in terms of not doing full script, doing a little bit more outline whatever, however far you can go do that to make sure that they feel like they're going to give their best. And Greg taught me that over the course of the first six or seven months on Batman, I started to learn it more and more. And it really was a became a wonderful, obviously, relationship. I text with Greg every day. I was just texting with him before you, <laughs> before we got nice. joking around, sending like memes and shit back and forth. So <laughs> I love him and I miss him. And we talk all the time and I'm going to work with him until, you know, Like until I drop dead and like he'll always be my partner and I love him. So, but yes, there was, at first it was very rocky where he was like, why are you giving me these 40 page scripts? And I was like, that's the only way I know how to write. And he's like, well, I'll tell you, you'll get a better result if you don't do that. And he's like, I can't do that. And it was on that issue that turned around issue five Mm -hmm. that that's where I first like let go and was like, you know what, on this, in this maze thing, Hey, in this maze thing, like maybe you just do whatever you want to do and uh see if you can kind of convey a sense of you know disorientation and then he came up with that idea to flip the book and I was like oh yeah I gotta start letting this guy go crazy and stop controlling everything
0: (laughs) that is awesome so that's how that panel yeah that full page panel came to be awesome I love it yeah and (laughs) and also uh just last thing and then we can move on um when you when you guys uh, teamed up once again for uh for metal um you both created a uh a, a Spotify playlist uh we did you know with songs you know that kind of like okay this scene or like this uh this panel represents this song or like this issue solely inspired by this song um for any of your future work do you plan on doing anything uh, similar to that again
1: yeah actually i'm working on a book right now for distillery called White Boat um, with Francesco Francavilla, who also was on uh, Batman with us on Black Mirror on Detective, me and Jock and him before I moved over to Batman with Greg. And um, uh, that book, it's about a, a, a small-time reporter who's invited onto this like very mysterious mega yacht that's exponentially bigger than any yacht ever created in the history of the world. And it, it's very strange and nobody knows who owns it or where it ports or exists or what's on it. And he goes on it and it begins this really twisted adventure um, that he doesn't know where it's going and, and what's going to happen to him. And it's like really love crafty and dark. And, and we're doing a, I'm doing actually a soundtrack for it with my friend, who's a musician in a band. He was in a band called mass Gothic and he's also has his own band called hooray for earth. That's been around a long time. They're signed to sub pop and uh, he has his own Spotify stuff and all that. And so he's helping me make a, his name's Noel Haru and he's helping me, do like uh, a really amazing sonic accompaniment to the book. So Ooh. yeah, I love I love music and, and intertwining it with story, and you know it's always that way. Like when it comes, I had a playlist with American Vampire too for every era. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And then
0: and speaking about reunions, uh, which you just mentioned a few, uh, you're once again working with uh Raphael Albuquerque on Duck and Cover. Uh yeah. what's it like joining up with him
1: once again? Oh, it's a blast. I mean, Rafa is another one of those guys that like we talk all the time and he's he was the first artist I ever worked with. I mean, regularly. Rafa and I started together, we were paired together. You know on American Vampire and became co-creators and he's just one of my best friends I mean I love him we've both been through a lot in our lives as friends you know (laughs) marriages and children and all kinds of hardships and things and so Rafa was somebody again I will work with as long as he'll have me and I know we'll do things till we're old men but I have such respect for his um his career trajectory also everything he's doing in Stout Club and all the kind of creator owned deals he's making with his friends and his studio and his independence. Like I, I just love what he's doing. And over on detective with Rom, I mean, Rafa's the best. The um, book though, I think what's a lot of fun about it is that it's, it's like a, it takes all the things that we love. Both of us, we have really similar tastes. It's like a Venn diagram, perfect overlap of like, (laughs) you know, uh, Americana, horror, history, pulp, like, soapy you know action and drama and all the kind of stuff that we brought to american vampire and then sort of mixes it up to make something new that has the same sort of feel but is very different so duck and cover is about a um a bunch of kids in 1955 who hide under their desks when russia attacks us with nuclear weapons and miraculously they survive like the old um, public service announcement said hide under your desk like the turtle Bert." And you'll be fine. And then they are and they don't know why that happened. And all of a sudden, the Russians invade with these very strange machines and robots, and they don't know what's happening. And it becomes this bigger and bigger conspiracy and mystery, where these teenagers in 1955 kind of have to figure out what what happened to the world they know and how to save it. So it's got everything, every issue is themed like a different genre
0: mm-hmm. because
1: the main character Dell wants to be a movie, he wanted to be a movie director or wants to be a movie director before the end of the world. And so he's always talking about what genre he wants to work in. So the first issue is called melodrama. The second one is called horror. The third is sci-fi. Fourth is Western because it's like the big standoff. So um, I love it. It's like one of the books I'm proudest of in the whole last couple of years and we're having a blast. I'm just finishing it right now. The first arc of it, I'm writing the fourth issue now. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my faves and I love it. Yeah. That, uh, reading, uh, the preview issue, uh, left
0: me, you know, with a big cliffhanger. So, you know, I'm, I'm sold. I'm going to buy it, buy it when it comes out on, you know, a new new comic book day. Uh, so yeah, love the writing, uh, love the pacing and the art as well. That really sold it. um, but I do have, it's kind of silly, but did you uh,
1: watch Duck and Cover with Bert the Turtle? I did. Uh, for research purposes? Okay. I did. It's in there. Like, we use the yeah. actual language, and we use the um, images from it. So in the fourth issue, you'll see, too, they mash it back up and use it again. But I did watch all those, yeah. Yeah, because I, uh, I watched a little bit of the clip uh, when I was reading
0: the comic, and I was like, huh. I was like, they're kind of like frame for frame. And I was like, you know, drawn a little bit differently, but I was like, huh like these things match up
1: (laughs) it's crazy they did that i mean it was i mean i i i think they meant like hide under your desk not because they think your desk will protect you but because an atomic blast will come through the window so that you're hiding under your desk to protect against the debris um again like you're not you're not going to be okay if there's an atomic blast like that close to you but that said uh it makes more sense when they explain it that way but in the actual psa it sounds insane where it's like be like a turtle hide in your shell <laughs> under your desk and you'll be fine and it's just like so it it has a level of campiness and you know just complete sort of apocalyptic lunacy that felt like we just wanted to put it in there
0: Gotcha. And I mean, what a what a time to release this book as well, because Oppenheimer,
1: you know, is out yeah. as well and it's covering that. So it
0: just kind of fit in pretty well as well.
1: It is. I think there's a lot of reexamination of like quintessential American moments right now, just because we're at a really interesting and weird inflection point where we're so divided. And people have live in completely different realities about who we are and who we want to be. And I think it's leading to a lot of like look backs at moments that sort of changed us and and made us think of ourselves differently, good and bad. And so it's definitely a book that's invested in that kind of process about the the reason that we wanted to do it is it's the fifties in particular um, are a moment when there's a big battle going on between, I think, young people who are progressive and want to want things to be different generally, like not only young people, but there's, you know, people want Uh, the end to segregation and they want equal rights for women and all these things that people are pushing against. And then there's also this tremendous push backwards towards, you know, again, racial segregation, there's fear of communism, there's like conspiracy theories. And so it's a moment that felt that the book is about that. It's about kids having to reckon with this kind of, um, the the fall of the world that their parents made and deciding how they're going to do something to make something better on the other side, and whether or not they're going to be brave or kind of hide in a bunker. And so that's kind of what the story is about. And I think that you find echoes in history for moments that you're in now. And I do think that there's a big correlation between moments in the 40s and the 50s when we sort of became a version of ourselves that solidified in our imagination, this is who we are um and now when we're at a moment when I think we're really lost as to how we think of ourselves and we're looking for that kind of concretization of like this is what America is or who we are who we want to be so I think that's you know again I that's it's a it feels maybe it's one of the reasons I love writing indie stuff right now is that it's it's a moment that's asking I feel like we're asking all these questions that force us to look back at a lot of stuff that I've always really loved you know like the 20th century, um, um, pivotal moments, but earlier than that, like questions about surviving, you know, cataclysmic events and all of it. So it feels like a really potent moment to be a storyteller right now. And I love it. Yeah.
0: And definitely, um, with doing indie comics, you can sort of, uh, push that boundary or push the envelope that you can't really do on mainstream comics as of now. So that's another thing, something I really do appreciate about this book as well. Yeah. Um, Thank you yeah um and then it also ties into with you know with everything going uh across the pond you know ukraine is there gonna be nuclear war that's been going on yeah. for at least the past six months you know <laughs> but um i do want to go ahead and just uh say this as well uh once the bombs dropped in in the book i was picturing you know more red dawn you know wolverine sort of thing yeah. oh and that's then...
1: it <laughs> there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely like it's like kind of like you know Red Dawn meets Breakfast Club meets like uh, some 50s pulp attack of the space mutant you know whatever crabs like it's meant to be that kind of like insane um, insane uh, sort of mishmash of all those things where it's like all those things mixed together you know and that's what Rafa and I love is we like taking things that are kind of tropes and you know, familiar genre things and then mashing them into something new like American Vampire where it's like horror and westerns and that and then mixing it up and coming up with something your own. Yeah. Um, and we're um, um, uh, running almost out of time.
0: Uh, so one last question about about Duck and Cover is uh, Del mentions that, uh, you know, he always sees the dog whenever he starts losing faith, starts losing hope, things are getting yeah. a little bit dark always sees a dog that, you know, attacked him. Um, And then the final panel right before it says next issue horror, uh, will the dog play more of a, more of a role in upcoming issues and not just the next one?
1: Yes. The dog is in the last issue in a big way. Um, But the idea is supposed to be the dog for him, his character, really, it represents something that says, you know, is all of the sort of terrible regressive and really ugly and cruel sort of uh strains in american society you know he's a young black um man in like the 1950s and who has a lot of ambitions and a lot of things standing in his way some of which are systemic and some of which are just really human ugliness and so the dog is the kind of personification or the the um whatever you'd say is for an animal the anthropomorphization or whatever (laughs) of like all of those things um so it is almost like the final boss in some ways without giving away too much but it represents something for all the kids I think it's also all the ugliness and the the kind of challenges of a of kind of of the things that came before that didn't work and say, you can't do this and you're not going to make it. And, you know, all it's all those it's the ghost of everything from before in a bad way. And so for me, like that, the it has a kind of metaphorical presence, but it's also like a monster. It's it becomes like 50 feet tall. So it's like a big, wow. it's a big thing. Yeah, it's like a big monster. <laughs> dog. So,
0: end. so Pennywise, but in a Hellhound form.
1: <laughs> yes, exa- That's exactly. It. We call it the Hellhound in our shorthand to each other, me and Raphael. So it is very much that. Yeah, you you hit it right on the head.
0: Nice, and uh, Doc and Cover issue number one is available on Comicology. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Devil's Cut number one from Distil- uh, Distillery will be available at our local comic book shops on the thirtieth. Um before we start doing more plugs, uh, what can you tell us about Devil's Cut Number One? Oh, it's or the great. story as I mean, a whole.
1: Yeah, Distillery, well, distillery as a whole, what I love about it is like, you know, the trajectory of my career has been essentially just doing licensed stuff, like doing Marvel in DC, and then starting to branch out and do a little bit with witches and that stuff. American Vampire first within DC, then witches outside, a truly independent book for me outside of Vertigo. And then starting to do a l- little bit more. Until finally, like the last couple of years, I've been able to do a lot of indie books and then set up my own imprint with Best Jacket where I can not only do my books, but um, try to help other people do some books like with the IDW line, with Dark Spaces. And so the natural progression was like when Chip and David and the people at Distillery came and said, listen, we want to start a publishing um, house, uh, you know, or publisher where the creators actually have a stake in the company and own shares of the company together and it will be you and James Tynan and Jock and Becky Cloonan and, you know, Jamie McKelvey and Mirka Andolfo and all these people that I love and know really well and feel like I would bet on them in a second on anything they do. It was like, yeah, that's, that's the perfect next step. So, um, they're a wonderful place. They're like really creator friendly. They're giving us format that really lets the art and the story shine. And, you know, we're betting on each other is the way it feels, you know, for the direct market. It's really fun. So the devil's cut is like a, is almost like a preview book where it's like each, it's like each of us doing kind of a trailer or a short story that hints at some of the things we're going to be working on there. Uh, mine is like a, almost like a trailer for this, the book I was telling you about weight boat that I'm doing with Francesco Francavilla. So So uh, yeah, I hope you guys check it out. It's a beautiful book. It's awesome. And um, I just want to say thank you again, like to you guys, but everybody out there who's been so supportive of me you know, both when I was at DC and now like doing my own stuff. I mean, I I was hopeful that it would go well, but the fact that it's gone as well as it has, is just like blown me away. And I, I just can't thank you enough. I wake up every day, like feeling lucky to have this job. And I promise like, I will always do my best to try and earn, earn the support. So I'm very proud of the things coming up from duck and cover to white boat to stuff I can't talk about yet, but all of it, all of it in the mix. I'm, I'm very, very grateful to you guys.
0: Awesome man. I'm glad to be able to actually live and be able to read all of that. Also, um just want to say congratulations on Barnstorm uh, Barnstormers. Oh, yeah. And then uh lastly want to go ahead and say Night of the Ghoul went to print with Dark Horse Comics, the trade just printed on July 5th. So you can also go ahead and grab that. Uh lastly, uh any any conventions uh that you are doing or any social media handles where we can follow you uh that you'd like to throw out there.
1: Oh yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter still, even as it all falls apart. Like it's, <laughs> it's s snyder1835. It's Elvis's birthday. It's January. So one eight, January 8th, 1935. <laughs> I'm a big Elvis fan, as you can see anyway. Nice. Uh, so like, uh, that's my Twitter handle and it's the same on Instagram, but I also, I have a sub stack. It's called our best jacket, like, r, like our, like, o u r like our best jacket. Cause best jacket is my, um, my imprint. Um, and I teach classes over there and I do a newsletter like twice a week. And, um, it's a really, it's the, it's actually the the place that I enjoy the most outside of all the other social media sites. This is my favorite because I get to really interact with fans, um, respond in the comments, get to post about things people are asking. There's a big discord community over like 1500 people. The talk on there and we do classes about how to write comics so um if you're listening and you haven't checked it out please check it out we have like links to buy all the books and merch and all kinds of stuff sign comics and i really love it i'm trying to grow it as a community and it's i'm very grateful we have way more people than i expected but um i want to keep it going as long as i can because i really love it
0: awesome All right. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. This was a fun conversation. um, And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and looking forward to your uh, new projects and uh, your your books.
1: Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate it. This was really fun.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Scott.
1: Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Bye.